Jeff Salzman here. Welcome to This Week in the News, which I do every Friday at 11 a.m. Mountain Time on the Facebook Post Progressive Group. I'm also doing this as a co-production of the Daily Evolver, and I'm going to post both in both places, the Post Progressive Post and the Daily Evolver. So what uh, what I'm going to do is this is uh, kind of a fun show. It's not terribly newsy, but yet it is in a cultural way. Uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to consider what uh, a, an integral arising that has uh, arisen in our culture. That's what I do here. And in this case, it is a work of art by one of our living masters in the medium of cinema, and I'll, I'll give you a hint in a minute. I'm going to play some clips. I'll, I'll just start with my direct experience in the theater on Saturday. It's a three-hour movie. <laughs> it wasn't exactly, when is one ever in the mood for a three-hour movie? But I'd made a date with friends, so I went. And I have to say, within two minutes of the opening scene, I, I felt a tear run down my cheek. I was absolutely enthralled. I knew I had entered the world of a master, you know, artistic master, a, a technical master, and I had two and a half hours to go. Yay. And I wasn't disappointed. So see if you can guess from this clip what I'm talking about. So I'll play a little more, but that was what got me. I mean, I don't know where in my memory that whistle was, that sort of jungly, tribal um, call and response whistle that, I mean, it hit me right in the heart. And so I was, I was on board from the beginning. And of course, I am talking about the remake of West Side Story by Steven Spielberg which actually I didn't really know was coming. A friend suggested it, and it was a surprise to me, and what a wonderful surprise. A lot of critics are gushing about it. I'm on the right side of the critics, I think, this time, in saying that every moment conveys movement, it conveys magic, you know, what, it, what, what art can do, you know, a visual sumptuousness, that I found to be bodily thrilling. It's so sensually rich. And the casting is astonishing. I mean, I watched this movie and I thought, I didn't know people could be this talented. I mean, how does this happen? I had heard of very few of them. Uh, I don't know where they came from. They did these big auditions. The dance was perfection. It exuded the passion of youth, the grittiness of street life the sort of liquid louche, that liquid space of being in a gang and a family. And so the question is, uh, you know, West Side Story is over 60 years old. Is it a relic? Uh, it, you know, I would have thought it was, but it's not only relevant to our times. I think it's a gift to our times. I'm with Time Magazine's critic, uh, Stephanie Zacharek, and she wrote, I had no idea I needed this West Side Story until I saw it. And um, I, would, I would agree. And I would actually nominate it because I am the nominator at the judging committee for uh, status as an integral movie. And I'll make that case. 
But my simple definition of an integral movie is a movie that inhabits multiple worldviews with a deep understanding of all of them on their own terms and a goodwill to all of them. So it's something like that. And this movie hits that bullseye for me. I just lay out a little bit about what Spielberg did here. He worked with Tony Kushner, who wrote the script. And Tony Kushner, I have to say, is I have mixed feelings about Tony Kushner. I certainly love him fully after this movie. And he also wrote Lincoln for um, Spielberg, which I thought was great. But I really, uh, Angels in America is one of my least favorite shows ever. It's, 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 it's um, utterly deconstructive and postmodern, and I di didn't get it. I, could, I can like that sort of thing. But anyway, I'm all on board with Tony Kushner. So I just watched the 1962 version of West Side Story. There's, there's three versions. There's a 1957 play. There's the 1962 movie version with Natalie Wood, and it won 10 Oscars. The play won all kinds of awards to it, popular from the beginning. And what Spielberg did is remarkably consistent with those, the original. Scene for scene, they did a little time shifting, but for the most part, it is that story and very little changed. It takes place in late 1950s New York. It was contemporary for the time in a neighborhood called San Juan Hill that was being torn down and redeveloped for the Lincoln Center that was being built. And that's true history. West Side Story, it's uh, basically three conflicts going on. One is a very archetypal conflict, a conflict of two young lovers you know, love at first sight, and boy, did they fall in love at first sight, <laughs> like they do in musicals, uh, they did. Uh, but they're caught up in a cruel world that wants to keep them apart. So there's that story. Then there's the tribal story, which is a struggle between two gangs. And of course, gangs are emblematic of that red warrior structure, really, in developmental theory. And the two gangs are the Puerto Rican Sharks, led by Bernardo, and a white gang made up of Irish, Italians, and Poles, which incidentally, from a cultural perspective, were at one time at odds with each other. But here they are in, together against the Sharks. And this is the Jets, and it is led by Riff. And both of these actors, Bernardo and Riff, I mean... I don't know what to say. They're just um, astonishing, and, and they're not the only ones. So then there's the modern um, conflict, which is the redevelopment, the tearing down uh, of a neighborhood, you know, and, and the building of a great cultural center. And Spielberg presents this with a, just a matter-of-factness. Um, there is, a, I think, a, just a, a great cities have great cultural centers, and they're all built on the bones of communities immemorial. And so that is just, again, shown without comment. I mean, you get the idea. And that's what I think is so artistically accomplished about this movie and also integral, is that they were able to present these conflicts in the context of the worldviews of the people in the times that they happened 
You know, for instance, it's like when the Puerto Ricans complain that the cops blame them first in any conflict, you see it as a complaint of traditionalists, as something they're factoring into their lives. You know, somebody's got to be on top. Somebody's going to be on the bottom. I'd rather we were on top, but we're on the bottom. And the Jets, the white gang, they had their karma too. As Officer Krupke put it to them, you're the last of the can't-make-it Caucasians. So they were desperate too in defending this territory against the rival gang and ultimately against the feudal resistance against modernity itself. So, you know, has a lot going on there. But all of it's presented, again, in the context of the worldviews of the people at the time, not in a social justice worldview of contemporary progressives. There's a little bit of that. They did a little bit of tweaking. But um, in a way, the, the presentation of this era in history, and it's astonishing uh, how relevant it is in terms of just the struggle still between races and classes and so forth. It's reassuring in a way. There's something about seeing that, that, oh, wait, this has been going on for a long time. And of course, it's been going on for time immemorial. But it's reassuring to present it in its original context. Now, not everybody likes that, of course. Uh, There was an essay in the New York Times last year when they were talking about making West Side Story, and it was written by the Puerto Rican writer Karina Del Valshorsky, and she called for the musical to be retired entirely. And her piece was titled, Let West Side Story and Its Stereotypes Die. Uh, But I'm glad they didn't, because it's a story of people living their lives as fully and passionately as they can in the world they find themselves in. And, um, you know, Spielberg presents it on his own terms. Uh, and, and, and yet here's the plot twist. The terms of this show, I mean, this original show was created by, in 1957, stage musical, created by four young Jewish gay guys who were not street urchins, They were all exquisitely educated, sophisticated, and together they dreamed it all up. (laughs) So, all art, right? So, a little history of West Side Story. It debuted successfully on Broadway, 1957, by Jerome Robbins, who is the choreographer, Leonard Bernstein, the composer, Arthur Lawrence, who was the producer, and Stephen Soundheim, who... Uh, wrote the lyrics. And he came in later. It was a 10-year collaboration among the others. And it was very stormy. And it's just actually, again, from a developmental point of view, that sees the process of creation arising in every moment. That's the nature of the cosmos is creation. Uh, You see the messiness of it, the dead ends, the wrong turns, the good luck, the bad luck, you know, all of it. The original show was going to be about a Jewish Holocaust survivor. That was going to be the Juliet character. Uh, it was called East Side Story. It was going to be a Jewish and Irish gang conflict. And it went through many plot revisions. They fought, they stormed out, they let it sit for years at a time. Nobody understood it. Nobody wanted to fund it. It was too dark. 
Bernstein, Leonard Bernstein, the composer, wanted to make it operatic, and they kept reeling him in. And, you know, right up into the opening night, they're painting the backdrops a week before. They're changing the characters and, 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 and dialogue right up to the opening night. And again, it's a, a, an example of evolution being not pretty, but beautiful. And of course, it was an immediate triumph. And I, I think one of the things that's uh, developmentally interesting about it is that the show was not just, it was not just a new show on Broadway. It was a new aesthetic for American musical theater, which is a, you know important uh, um, art form of American culture. And this was really the first of the great postmodern musicals on Broadway. Uh, it, this is the late 50s. So the, the, this, this first anti-heroic aesthetic was arising. In fact, they originally wanted to cast James Dean opposite Natalie Wood, but he died. That's what they were looking for. This is green aesthetic. They want to tell the story of people who are unseen, oppressed at the margins of society. They want a grittiness. They want it not to be mannered, more in your face, to express an in-the-moment spontaneity, a transgressiveness, not a coherent narrative, and <laughs> above all, no happy endings. I forget where I got this, but this is a description of some of the creative process. Throughout the rehearsal period, the New York newspapers were filled with articles about gang warfare, keeping the show's plot timely. Robbins, Jerome Robbins, he was the choreographer, and the choreography, oh my God, I'm going to play a couple clips. Robbins kept the cast members playing the Sharks and the Jets separate in order to discourage them from socializing with each other and reminded everyone of the reality of gang violence by posting news stories on the bulletin board backstage. He wanted a gritty realism from his sneaker and jeans clad cast. He gave the ensemble more freedom than Broadway dancers had previously ever been given to interpret their own roles. And the dancers were thrilled to be treated like actors instead of just choreographed bodies. As the rehearsals wore on, Bernstein fought to keep his score together. And this is about his operatic passages. I'll go on with that. Uh, Columbia Records initially declined to record the cast album, saying the score was too depressing and difficult. So, you know, that's what they were. They were moving this, the ball into the green territory of musical theater. And on the other hand, it couldn't quite escape the cultural gravity of traditional musical theater, which required that there be songs that people can whistle on their way out of the theater. So uh, we, we had those. I mean, you know, we have songs like Tonight, One Hand, One Heart. And unfortunately, <laughs> the insipid I Feel Pretty which nobody liked, uh, even none of the composers liked. Uh, Stephen Sondheim is a, a, a notorious hater of this song. He wrote the lyrics. But, uh, you know, everybody hated it except the audience. 
So they loved it. So it all got baked in. And it's sort of in a way, I, I, I want, do I want to say proto-integral? Because it had a, 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 it's always had a foot in the traditional frothy sweetness and light theater. But it's also trying this new thing. Did it get it integrated? Uh, Spielberg certainly did. I'll put it that way. So I'm going to play a couple clips here that um, will illustrate some of what I've been talking about. Okay, this is going to be just to give you a flavor of the Spielberg version. This I lifted from some of the previews and stuff, and I trust they don't mind because I'm publicizing their movie. But here goes. There's a place for us Somewhere a place for us Yeah, so the, the singing somewhere there is Rita Moreno. And I remember when I heard from my friend that Rita Moreno was in it. And of course, she played Anita uh, in the original movie in 1962. She's now 90. She had her 90th birthday this week. Um, I thought, I would cringe. I thought, you know, stunt casting, you know, get publicity and stuff. She was amazing. They rewrote a role for her, the role of Doc, who was the kindly shopkeeper that was provided a haven for Tony particularly. She is now his widow, Doc's widow. She herself is Latina. And so she has that sort of, she's a, has a foot in both. And Tony is her grandson. And it's, she's magnificent. And they literally played, they had her sing the song, No Sound Stage, right then and there on the set. And it's, uh, she's something amazing. So anyway, there's that. So I'm going to play another clip here too. Any clip I play is going to have to be from the uh, 1962 movie, and you can't get it from Spielberg. This is uh, part of that gritty aesthetic. Jerome Robbins, this is his choreography. It was revolutionary for its time. Oh my God. And um, Spielberg notches it up four times in terms of the charisma, but it, that's what we got here. And you realize how good the 1962 version was. Okay. So there's the, 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 the grittiness, but so here, and then here's this frothy light um, is the other pole. I feel pretty. Oh, so pretty. I feel pretty and witty and gay and I pity any girl who's in me today. Yeah, so it's <laughs> kind of growing on me. <laughs> I have had, it's been an earworm for the last 
weak, that song. So I guess I have to let it in. But yeah, so part of the mishmash, sort of the the mess of this half green, half orange blue show is that, you know, it's jarring and it still is. I see the critics, whatever complaints they have, it's often that, you know, we're, it's, you just killed off a character that you made us love. Give me a minute <laughs> you know, before we have to be chirpy and dancing again. Uh, but that's just the nature of this work of art. And I'm so glad that Spielberg just presents it that way. So I, I did want to take a moment to uh, make a couple comments on Stephen Sondheim, who wrote the lyrics. This is one of his first uh, forays into theater. And he, of course, became, he just died a couple weeks ago. And he, I'd be willing to give him an integral designation as well. He's certainly the great master of green postmodern musical theater. Again, let me just sort of describe what some of the characteristics of that would be. It's sensitivity. It's also uh, wry, very psychologically aware, very sophisticated, psychologically sophisticated, observant of the quotidian kind of impressionistic rather than narrative, rejects standard narratives, it skewers conventions, it's transgressive, plays with timelines. <laughs> um, one of uh, his famous flops was Merrily We Roll Along, which the show unfolded in reverse. Uh, you know, his songs, The Ladies Who Lunch, one of my favorite songs from Company. It's about these ladies who, get, who lunch and just get more progressively drunk. And the chorus starts out being, everybody laugh. And at the end of all their vodka stingers, the chorus is, everybody rise. And I just think it's so great. His lyrics are often anti-heroic in a playful way. In, uh, in his show, Into the Woods, I don't want to say a parody, but it's a, a, a mishmash of the Grimm's Brothers fairy tales. And it turns out in one of the scenes that uh, Prince Charming is quite the cad. And when the princess asks him, why did you stray? His response is, I was raised to be charming, not sincere. <laughs> and of course, another characteristic of Green is it never really wants to give you the satisfaction of resolution. So it's not, it's not pretty. And that's really epitomized in Sondheim's show, Into the Woods. And there's a movie version of it that you can watch that, you know, I have such ambivalence about. It's got Emily Blunt, who I love, Meryl Streep, oh my God. This wonderful cast, this wonderful talent. This is the, they're going into the woods with the Grimm Brothers fairy tales. And they're, they're singing pretty much the whole thing. I'm just wishing would somebody break into song? I mean, is there a melody here? Is there anything I can hum on the way out of the theater? And, you know, there isn't. Uh, and yet, uh, Sondheim wrote many beautiful melodies. Anyone Can Whistle, one of my favorites. i certainly Send in the Clowns. I mean, talk about a masterpiece of postmodern um, sensibility. So, yeah, so we love Stephen Sondheim, uh, and, it's, and he actually was part of the making of the Spielberg ver uh, version. And, you know, you can see did a little change from um, I feel pretty and witty and gay now becomes I feel pretty and witty and bright.
in the Spielberg version. So Sondheim made some adjustments as well. Okay, this, <laughs> this is a, an example of one of Sondheim's favorite songs in West Side Story, in a way integral. It's the observation of how uh, red can con green, and it's called Dear Officer Krupke. It's the, the Jets pleading their case as to why they're juvenile delinquents. It's not their fault. Dear kindly Sergeant Krupke, you gotta understand, it's just our bringing up key that gets us out of hand. Our mothers all are junkies, our fathers all are drunks. Golly Moses, naturally we're punks. Gee, Officer Krupke, we're very upset. We never had the love that every child ought to get. We ain't no delinquents, we're misunderstood. Deep down inside us, there is good. There is good, there is good, there is good, there is untapped good. Like inside, the worst of us is good. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> I love that. You know, at the end, after they sort of mesmerize you with all of these reasons why they're such bad people, but they're really secretly good, they go, Dear Officer Krupke, Krupp you. So, you know, red wins in the end. Okay. So, um, you know, I mentioned that one of the things that is so astonishing about the Spielberg version is the casting. And I wanted to just point out a couple highlights. One is uh, you can go to Amblin. This is what I did. Amblin.com. That's Steven Spielberg's uh, company. Look up West Side Story. And they have clips of Steven Spielberg talking about the process of making the movie and casting and so forth. And uh, Maria, it turned out she was 17 years old. She was cast the very first day of casting. Nobody heard of her. She is, I, 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 I want to look her up. Her name's Rachel Zegler, but I'm afraid she's terribly sophisticated and, you know, a, a, a young girl of our time now. And I don't want that. I want her to be Maria because she just transmits that fecund innocence of a teenage girl, you know, who's just found first love. And wow, what, what a casting bullseye there. Tony is... Ansel Elgort. I had heard of him. He was in Baby Driver. He's a great actor. I'd say of the four main characters, he's probably not the most perfect, but he's, he's good in the sense that he's not who you would expect. He's kind of gangly and tall, and, but he's got this masculinity. Uh, he's a reasonably good singer, a reasonably good dancer. Uh, and so I'm all in for Tony, but then there's these other supporting actors. Ariana Delbos is Anita. Spielberg said that he cast her sheerly for her charisma. He was looking for acting ability, dancing ability, and charisma. And she, and her dancing, her singing is off the charts too. So she's well worth checking out. And David Alvarez plays Bernardo. One of the critics called him a walking sack of testosterone. He's absolutely fantastic. And the one that broke my heart is Mike Feist, who played Riff. He's the leader of the Jets. And Spielberg said that he was so taken by Mike Feist 
that he considered delaying the production of the whole movie so that he could get him. And so I do want to play just one clip from him. And I encourage you to go look at clips of the other. I encourage you to go see the movie. But here's um, Mike Feist, just knock, a knockout. You know, I wake up to everything I know either getting sold or wrecked or being taken over by people that I don't like. And they don't like me. And you know what's left out of all that? The Jets. And his dancing is unsurpassed as well. So what else do I want to say? Oh, there's a couple other things. Uh, one of the things is there's lots of Spanish in it, no subtitles. That's often been noted. Uh, but it works because the, it's, it shows the universality of language and uh, the transmission that can happen. It's beautifully done. In fact, they were very careful as to how they did it. And there is also a transsexual who was a key player in the role. And I wasn't sure that I remembered that from the movie. It turns out that she's there. She or he, the, the character is called Anybody's. And in the original, it's uh, shown as a tomboy. And in the Spielberg version, he, I would assume they would use the he designation, uh, is made fun of, is on the periphery of the gang, is not let in. But after performing a heroic act is uh, referred to by one of his key detractors and tormentors as buddy boy. You did good, buddy boy. And that, uh, of course, makes his day. And so there's a lot that is going on that is relevant, but again, in a way that is um, artistically uh, resonant and um, certainly turned me on. So I hope it does you as well. Okay, uh, check out some of the new stuff on Post Progressive Post and um, yeah, on with the show. See you next time.